We'll consider together this morning John chapter 13, verses 18 to 30. Submit yourself now to God as He declares Himself to you in His holy Word. John 13, verses 18 to 30. Jesus said, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture must be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. No one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after he received the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us bow in prayer and ask him to bless its preaching. Lord, give us this morning eyes to see and ears to hear that we may not walk in darkness that we may see and trust in your son Jesus Christ the light which has come into the world we pray this in his name amen so we begin this morning I want to ask you a question have you ever been betrayed Perhaps you found out that someone someone you counted as a close friend was talking behind your back, had lied to you, that your relationship wasn't what you thought it was. You thought that you were friends, but the other person did not think so. They only meant to tear you down and advance their own interests. I'm sure this would be particularly painful for you if this person was someone that you dearly loved, someone whom you had served, someone you had invested in and put time and effort into. And then it turns out that they were only using you. This sort of experience can be disorienting for us, can it not? As we learn something we did not know, it is 
certainly quite painful. Quite a depressing thing to go through. And you may well describe such an experience as a dark one. In some ways, this is the same sort of experience that Jesus goes through in this passage. It's different for him because he knows all things. But throughout this chapter, John has been inserting these references in the earlier sections to what we finally come to in our passage for this morning. The demonic-inspired betrayal of Jesus by one of his closest followers. It's been actually mentioned all along. Every time Judas' name comes up, he's Judas who would betray Jesus. In 13 verse 2, we learn during the supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus said in verse 10, And you are clean, but not every one of you. And in this passage, that theme which has been building is is finally taken up and John focuses upon it. We get a focus on the betrayal of Jesus by Judas Iscariot. We have the veil pulled back, as it were, to see behind the curtain the forces with which Judas has aligned himself who are at war with God and His Messiah. And here Jesus even tells His disciples beforehand, this is what is about to happen. It is a dark time indeed. A very dark time. But John has told us in the prologue of his Gospel that the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. We learn in this text that despite the attacks of the devil and even the betrayal of our closest allies, no, it is actually even through these things that Christ and His church will prevail even through the darkest of hours. Even through the attacks of Satan, and the leaving of our closest allies, the Son of God will prevail. As we look at the text, I want to first consider the darkness. This indeed is a dark hour. And John points that out to us by describing the anguish of the Savior. We are told again here that Jesus in verse 21 was troubled in His spirit. This is very similar to things John has said before. Like in 11.33, when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus and saw His sister weeping and the Jews who'd come with her weeping, He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. Or in 12.27, Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this very purpose... I have come to this hour. Jesus knows what is going to happen. And and in verse uh, chapter 11 there, he was facing the death of his closest friends and he was deeply moved. In chapter 12, he is facing his own death, which he knows is imminent. And he 
is deeply moved, troubled in spirit. And there is good reason for him to be troubled even now. As he says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Some of us might like to choose the way that we die. There are some ways that would be better than others. Perhaps a, in an or, our old age, an instant automobile accident with no pain and suffering. Quietly in our beds at home. None of us would wish for our death to be from a knife in the back. Plunged there by one of our closest friends. But Christ knows that is what is happening. And it is also a dark hour, not only because of the anguish we see in Christ, but because this is an hour of demonic betrayal. What is the source of this? This is, you know, we experience this from time to time. People let us down. They turn their backs on us. But this is one that is especially inspired. It is the plan of the prince of darkness himself. It is uniquely inspired by Satan who is the enemy of God and the enemy of his people. In verse 2, we've read that the devil has put it into his heart to betray Jesus. And now we learn even more. Satan himself enters in to Judas. This is not as if uh, there's something magic going on as in Satan was in the morsel of bread or this is some sort of anti-sacrament, the opposite of the Lord's Supper. But as it were here, Satan enters Judas after this last gesture of kindness comes from the hand of Christ. And Judas, for the last time, makes up his mind. I will betray him. He has listened to the devil. And now, fully and finally, he has given himself over to the devil's schemes. And this devil has no other object than to destroy you. To destroy man. To separate them from God. To wage a war against God himself. Isn't that what he did in the beginning? He came and caused the fall of man, tempting Adam and Eve to that first sin in the garden, saying, no, do not listen to the Word of God. Do what you want instead. Do what you think is best and not what God has said. And now that God has become man, Satan focuses his fury on Jesus Christ. Jesus told us in chapter 8, as he spoke to the Pharisees, he said, you were of your father the devil because your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is what the Pharisees were doing. And it is these same Pharisees with whom Judas has aligned himself. And they are plotting murder. And Judas' whole relationship to Christ is a lie. Playing the friend, the apostle, the disciple, and yet talking behind his back with his enemies, 
And as dark as this time is, the darkness is deepened by the position of Judas himself who betrays Christ. His close position to Jesus. Sometimes you find someone perhaps has spoken about you behind your back and it's easier to get over when I never liked them anyway. We weren't really that close, so it's not a big deal. But look at what Judas has done. Look at the height from which he falls, we might say. For one, he is trusted with the money. That's come up before in this Gospel, and it's actually mentioned here. That's why the disciples, when Jesus says, go and do it quickly, think he's saying, yeah, go out and buy some more supplies for the feast. Go out and give to the poor. Judas was trusted. He had that special place within the group of the twelve. He's also most likely seated very near to the Lord, probably just on Jesus' left hand in a place of honor, seated beside Him. Because Jesus is able, reclining at the table as they would have done at the Passover meal, to hand Him the morsel of bread. And finally, that very action itself in that culture was a sign of honor. The act of of giving a choice piece of choice cut of the meat or of bread and dipping it and giving to someone. That is what the host would do to show his love and honor to someone. And that is what Christ has done. And that is what Judas on the one hand has accepted from him. Again, only to return the proverbial knife in the back. And finally, we see the darkness in a theme which John has been bringing up in these last chapters. There's a broader theme that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. But as we have gone through the Gospel and as we have come to this point in the last few chapters, Jesus has been talking about the light going out. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In 9.5. In 11.9, He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? Implying the day will come to an end. In 12.35, he says, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And our passage this morning fittingly describes these times of darkness ending with these words. Judas went out and it was night the night Jesus has been saying will come. Not an ordinary night, but a night of the devil's darkness. A night of the darkness of evil and of betrayal. That is the picture that is painted for us in this passage. Do you see the darkness of this hour? Have you yourself known dark times. As we've asked, have you been betrayed? Have you struggled against the darkness of despair in your own life at a time when it seems that there is no hope? Do the powers that be, including perhaps even the ruler of this world himself, seem to be completely set against you? If they do, 
For one, take comfort in the fact that God knows how you feel. Because He became flesh and He entered into this darkness. He knows exactly what that darkness feels like. He has been deeply troubled in spirit. But also, take comfort in the hope which even in this passage, Jesus gives to us. As we read earlier, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Having considered the darkness of this passage, let us look at the way Jesus also paints a picture of a future hope. Jesus also here, in the midst of this very darkness, gives us hope for the future. We see this hope in a few ways. First, we see it in the firm plans of Christ. In the first verse we read this morning in 18, he says, I am not speaking of all of you. That's where he has said that uh, beforehand that you are clean. He says, I know whom I have chosen. Christ knows that he has chosen Judas. He didn't do that in ignorance as we often choose our friends. But he says, I know whom I have chosen. And it does not diminish his pain as he goes through this darkness. But he chose them for this very purpose. As he said to his father, it is for this very purpose that I have come to this hour. It was part of the plan of Christ to suffer this betrayal that He might go to death on the cross, that He might bear the penalty for our sins. It is not because Satan's plan to betray and murder Christ failed that Christ triumphs. It is actually through the success of what Satan wanted to do that he ends up destroying himself. And that God triumphs through this plan, which is deeper and wiser than Satan can imagine. It is through the darkness, through the betrayal, through even the working of the devil, that God succeeds. There is hope because we have a firm plan in the Savior. And there is also hope in that same vein because this is a fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus said, the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. We read that this morning in Psalm 41. This plan is not the plan that was hatched after the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. No. This is part of the plan that was made and that the Word inspired the prophets of the Old Testament to foretell. We know David is a type of Christ. He is the great king of the Old Testament who pictures the greater king, Jesus, his son. And David also endured betrayal and wrote prophetically of what would come in the true king of Israel. Think of the life of David. You know the story of that. Even our kids often know about David. He killed Goliath. He became king. But what happened? 
He was anointed to be king, yet he was persecuted to death by Saul, who tried to kill him. The one whom he served. Remember, as Saul would be troubled with evil spirits, David was the one who would bring him relief. And what thanks did he get? Spears flung at him. Saul said, I will pin him to the wall after such faithful service. And David therefore writes as a picture inspired by Christ's spirit of his own life, but picturing the Messiah who was to come. And as Jesus says, the Scripture will be fulfilled. And it is fulfilled in Christ. And even in the darkness, we have a sure hope because of the firm plan of Christ, because of the fulfillment of Scripture, and also because Christ is focused on a future church that is yet to be born. Look at what he says in verse 19. Christ is focused on the church that will spring up after he dies and is raised to life. He says, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. He knows that this dark hour is not the end. And so He lays the foundation for what will come after the morning of Easter has dawned. He knows that the night for Him will be devastating to His disciples. And what do they do? We know, right? They scatter. They run. One of them, we will learn, even fleeing his clothes. He's so scared he runs away naked. Think of how much worse it would have been for them if he had not prepared them with these and other words. And so he is giving them proof by telling them beforehand so that their faith will be strengthened. So that they will know that this was part of his plan. That this is the fulfillment of Scripture. That no, I was not just another pretend Messiah. Another one that came and caused excitement and then failed. He wants them to trust in Him that He is the great King He says He is. Even though He dies. And He continues in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives Me, and whoever receives Me receives the one who sent me. Sometimes, maybe you even felt this as we read this verse. What's he talking about? So he's talking about betrayal, and then he says this thing about sending people, and then he goes back and starts talking about betrayal again. What is Why does that verse have to do with this passage? Did somebody get him mixed up there, copying? No? Christ here has been speaking through many chapters about the way that he has the authority of God because God has sent him. And God has bestowed his authority on the one he has sent. But now, he begins to give to his disciples this idea that I will take this authority I have from the Father and I will vest that in you. I will give this authority to you so that whoever believes you believes me. Whoever believes me believes him who sent me. This is probably why, especially the Apostle John here, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was given even the identity of the betrayer beforehand. 
John needs to be a witness that Jesus' prediction was fulfilled, that he spoke the truth. He needed also to be a witness that it was indeed a fulfillment of this Old Testament passage. He needed to see that bread being given to Judas. If Peter had not asked John, and John had not asked Jesus, then how would John write this passage for us? And yet Jesus is saying, I have been sent by the Father. That's why we see from time to time, and even in this passage, Jesus didn't just say something. He bore witness. He testified and spoke with authority. And he is saying, now I'm giving you the authority to tell these things to the world. This is what is going on. Christ is even in this hour of his anguish thinking about the future of his church. He told his disciples and he told particularly John what would take place, not just so they would believe and their faith would be strengthened, but so that they would tell you that you might believe, that you might know that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. He told them that we also would believe and find salvation in Him. Even though He is in the midst of this dark night, Jesus offers us hope because He is thinking of His church. And He came And he suffered this betrayal. And he went all the way to the cross for his church. And he sent John to write this gospel, this book. And he sent me to preach it to you. He sent his church that this message of free salvation might go out to the ends of the world that you might believe. As we come to a close, I want to suggest a few points of application. If we think about it, we are all of us like Judas, who have received good things from the Lord, but who have betrayed Him, rebelled against Him, who has been so kind to us. And yet He offers us an olive branch. He offers us the bread of life. He has given us John and the other apostles and the Scriptures and ministers to bring the Word to us. He's given us eyewitness testimony to the suffering of Christ, the fulfillment of His words, and the fulfillment of Scripture. And He does this so that traitors may believe. That traitors may stop their rebellion submit to Him and trust in what He has done. Peter too betrayed Christ, did not he do that? Before the cock crowed. Judas went and did what Judas was destined to do. We do not have to be like him. 
Believe indeed that Christ came to suffer, to die as the Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world. We must all put our faith in Him. Being a member of the church is not enough. Being a member of the only perfect church, as we sometimes jokingly call ourselves in the OPC, is not enough. Being an officer in the church is not enough if you do not truly have faith in Christ. We've seen how Judas was at the tippy top of outward appearances of being in the right. But he did not put his faith in Christ. If you do that, I have bad news. Life does not become magically peachy keen and rainbows all the time. But I have good news. You can take heart in the midst of the darkness of this world. Because the church of Christ follows the pattern of Christ. Christ says you will be persecuted, you will suffer, you may even be betrayed by those whom we have served faithfully. And we see that in Scripture, in Acts, in Paul's epistles when he was deserted by his friends. But just as we saw in accomplishing salvation in Christ, God uses the schemes of the devil to accomplish his plan and his purpose. And at the same time, even when people hate us and betray us and persecute us, even when they succeed, God uses that to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for My power is is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Jesus didn't win by winning. He won by losing. He won when Satan won. And even here, Satan sends this messenger to harass Paul. And God uses it to sanctify him. That he would not be puffed up with pride. That he would be a humble servant like his Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul does not boast in himself, but boasts in Christ. In the darkest of times, Paul looked to the hope which he had in Christ. Look not at the dark circumstances around you, brothers and sisters, but look to the hope that is found in Christ who went through this dark night and yet who rose victorious from the dead in a blessed new morning. That hope is yours if you trust in Him. Let's bow in prayer.